recite from memory the scripture reading today, which is Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 17. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to, work in these, used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off the old nature with its practices and have put on your new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you are called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell, dwell among you richly, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks so much for that, Mario. Uh, 17 verses is a lot to memorize, so thank you for sharing. Thank you for sharing the importance of memorizing. Uh, and thanks to you and Rachel for all the ways that you guys serve and lead the church. We are so grateful for you guys. <clears throat> uh, so again, yeah, today we are in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 17. Uh, so if you want to open up your Bibles to there, uh, I'd invite you to do so. Uh, there are various moments uh, in our lives 
where something happens and our identity changes. Some event happens um, and, and it, it changes uh, a part of us, it changes our identity. And when that does happen, it doesn't make sense to continue living like you did before this event happened. Uh, it is expected that you would live into this change. You live into this change of identity. So what do I mean? I'll give a couple examples uh, that I have. <coughs> uh, marriage is, is a pretty uh, uh, prominent one where at one point you were single and then a wedding happens and then you are married. You are no longer single, but you are married. And in, in that way, the things that you used to do when you were single, uh, the ways that you oriented your life, the way that you thought, uh, there's aspects of that that doesn't make sense to continue doing that now that you're married. Uh, but, but because of that, uh, your actions, uh, your mindset, um, needs, to uh, needs to adapt and adjust into that new identity. Uh, parenthood is one uh, that at one point you were not a parent, and then you have a child, and now you are a parent. Uh, that your identity has changed, and therefore you are to, it, it is expected that you would live in a way uh, that fits that new identity. We're in graduation season right now, and graduation is a big one of that. Uh, that at one point you are a student, you are studying, writing papers, working really hard, and then you have a graduation, and then after that you are no longer a student. Uh, you, are, you are moving on into whatever is next. And it doesn't make sense in those cases to continue to do and live like you did as a student. Uh, it doesn't make sense for you to stay up late studying and writing papers because uh, you no longer are a student. That you, you are, uh, you know, to live into this new identity. Uh, work is the same thing, that, that maybe you're going from uh, unemployed to employed, uh, that that identity has shifted and the way that you live your life should orient to that. Uh, maybe you have a job change, a, kind of a field change, um, and, and so, uh, you know, maybe you're working in one field, you change, uh, so the working is the same, but, but maybe the way you spend your time and orient your life looks different. Uh, we see this in movies as well. Uh, we recently went to go see the newest Guardians of the Galaxy movie, uh, which is very good. I'm not going to spoil anything. <laughs> Don't worry, Abigail. Um, but uh, it, it struck me in that one, uh, the, the trilogy has this kind of common theme throughout it of family, uh, where in the first movie, you have these kind of random assortment of people who in many ways are, are kind of loners or outcasts or orphans. Uh, and through various circumstances, they're brought together into a team, into a family. Uh, and then in the second movie, uh, there's kind of this tension where they're like, They've, they've committed to each other, but there's still aspects of who they are uh, that is reflective uh, of the way that they lived before, where they were kind of rejecting people and pushing people away. But yet they were a family, so there's, a, there's this tension that was there. And, and by the third movie, we see that they're this fully formed family, loving and caring for one another, uh, to the point that, that kind of the major plot point of the movie is about saving somebody in their family. So it wouldn't make sense, as you're watching this third movie, for the characters to, to act like they did in the first one because their identity has changed. Uh, it is expected that they would live out that new identity, that their lives would orient around that new identity in this third one. So in these areas, because our identity changes, we are expected to live out those new identities. There are now certain things that I did or ways that I oriented my life when I was single that does not make sense to do now uh, that I'm married. Uh, there's ways that I... Uh, orient my life and do things now uh, as I'm a student in seminary that in a year from now when I graduate it won't make sense to continue to do those things. And this reality is, is the same for all of us uh, as believers. Uh, Colossians 3 verses 1 through 17 is a picture of this change. 
that Paul starts off this passage by saying, this is your identity. This is who you are now in Christ, that you have been raised with Christ, your life is now hidden with Christ, and you will one day appear in glory with Christ. And because of that, because of this is who you are, put off anything that leads to death, put off what is earthly, and put on the new self. Live into this change. Live into this new identity. Because here's the thing. When the dead come to life, they live as those alive in Christ. When the dead come to life, they live like the living. Uh, if we think of the, the story in the Gospels of uh, Jesus and Lazarus, where uh, Lazarus was Jesus' friend uh, who has died, and Jesus goes uh, to Lazarus' family, to, to Lazarus' tomb, uh, and he stands at the entrance of the tomb, and he says, Lazarus, come on out. And Lazarus, who had been dead for uh, multiple days at that point, was, was in the tomb, wrapped up in kind of his funeral clothing. But when Jesus says, Lazarus, come out, Lazarus uh, once was dead, is now alive, and kind of shuffles his, his, his way out. Uh, we don't really get a, a, a full picture in the story, but I would assume that Lazarus, the moment that he comes to life, one of the first things he's probably going to do is take off the funeral clothing that he's wearing and put back on the clothing of the living. And that is true for all of us who were once dead in sin, uh, who were once uh, under the punishment uh, of death that sin brings. We are now alive in Christ because of what he has done. So we are called to live as those alive in Christ. So we're going to see that in this passage, uh, first by looking at what is true of us now, uh, second, uh, what does it look like to put to death uh, what is earthly in us, what is the old self, and then how do we put on the new self? How do we live into this new identity that Jesus has brought us into? Uh, so first, what is true about you? I'm only going to briefly touch on this. Uh, Matt has preached uh, the past uh, couple of weeks in the lead-up to this passage that, that really goes into more depth on this. He, he preached on uh, who Jesus was, what he did, what he did, and the impact for us. Uh, so if you've missed any of those messages, I'd encourage you to, to go online and re-listen to them. Uh, but I just, I just want to kind of give a, a summary of that. Uh, Paul says in uh, chapter 3, verses 1 to 4, he says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So what is true about you, you have been raised with Christ. That at one point you were dead in sin and, and faced judgment for that, but because Jesus lived and died and rose again, we too are raised with him. Uh, that we are free from the punishment of sin, uh, and that he has given us his righteousness in that. Uh, our life is now hidden with Christ, that, that currently... Uh, we are united with him. Our lives and Jesus' lives are one, uh, that when God sees us, he sees Jesus, and we are given his righteousness in that. And then again, one day we know that Jesus will return. He will return in glory, bringing uh, uh, wholeness and healing to this world, that he will bring the new heavens and the new earth uh, in glory. And we have this promise that we will be with him as well in glory. So you are in Christ you therefore share in the significance of his uh, death, resurrection, and ascension, and you are permanent, permanently united with Christ, and therefore you will share in his glory. So that is true of who we are now, though, that uh, this is our reality because of what Jesus has done for us. So if this is who we are, and if this is what our identity is, 
what does it look like to live like the living? Uh, first, we, uh, Paul will say that we put off everything that is inappropriate to wear as a Christian, that we put to death anything that is earthly, anything that is sinful, anything that is of the old self. And then we are to put on Christ-like graces, that we are to put on the new self. So before we, before we kind of jump into to what Paul specifically says about that, I just want to highlight one resource that I have found really helpful on this topic. Um, I can only cover a little bit in the little bit of time that we have. Uh, but if you want to dive deeper, I would highly recommend a book called Devoted to God by Sinclair Ferguson. Uh, it's a wonderful book. It goes uh, yeah, really uh, in-depth on the process of sanctification, which is the process of growing in uh, Christ-likeness by putting on the new self. Uh, so I'd highly encourage this, Devoted to God by Sinclair Ferguson. So this is who we are, uh, if this is what Christ has done for us, uh, how do we respond? Well, first, we don't live like a dead man. We put to death the things that lead to death. We put to death what is earthly in us. Uh, so Paul, in verse 5, starts by listing off uh, some of these things. He says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. And then in verse 8, he also says, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. So what is Paul saying? Uh, put to death these sins. Run from sin. Put it off. Uh, have nothing to do with it. Why? Because sin will destroy you. If you allow sin to linger uh, in your lives, if you aren't actively pursuing putting it to death, uh, if we become complacent with sin, uh, if we become flippant with sin, uh, it will gradually destroy us, destroy the life uh, that God has offered to us. Uh, John Tyson, who is a, uh, he's a pastor up in New York City, kind of has this analogy where he shares it. In some ways, it's kind of like a, like a baby lion. Like, uh, baby lions are, are pretty cute uh, and cuddly and, and uh, you know, not too, not too dangerous, but, you know, they, they look like uh, animals that you might want as a pet, like a cute dog. Um, so if somebody were to offer you a baby lion as a pet for you to be like, here's a baby lion, have it live in your house. If you had no idea what a grown-up lion would look like, you might be like, oh yeah, that's, that's cool, it's, it seems like a fun pet, that's very cuddly. Uh, and if you do that, over time that lion will grow into a full-grown lion and will one day destroy you. It's inevitable in that sense. And it's the same for, uh, it's the same for sin, that, that oftentimes sin, when we are presented with it, looks, um, looks attractive, it looks fun, uh, it looks like it feels good. Um, and it doesn't seem like it would be a big deal if we kind of gave into it a little bit. But as we do that, if we, if we allow sin uh, and its attractiveness, um, if we view it as attractive to, uh, to live in us, to if we give an inch to it, it will one day uh, grow and destroy the life that Jesus offers us. We see that in these uh, specific sins that uh, Paul talks about. You know, sexual immorality, uh, we see the danger of giving to that in the uh, pervasiveness of uh, porn addictions, or something that starts off uh, maybe as harmless as watching a certain movie or looking at a picture. Uh, if we allow that to linger, it grows and grows into death and destruction and, and, and uh, addictions. Um, we see that in slander, uh, that if we allow ourselves to uh, say something negative about somebody, uh, and when we allow that to happen, we're more likely to do it again and again, and then that shapes our mind and the way that we view people, and we're not loving them, 
uh, but we see them in a negative light, and it destroys whatever relationship you might have with that person. <coughs> Covetousness, uh, which is idolatry, as Paul says here, uh, desiring what other people have by viewing what you have is not enough. I think that's uh, it's going to be especially hard. It, you know, we're coming into summer where people are taking vacations. We look at their pictures online, and we see, oh, that looks, you know, like a beautiful vacation. Uh, I wish I could go there. I wish I could be where they're at, enjoy uh, the beach or the mountains or wherever they're at. And we compare it to, to our current lives, and we say, uh, that is what they have, and I wish I could have that. What I have, what God has given me, is not enough. And we start to... Uh, feel a bitterness towards God for not providing certain things. Uh, we start to act like what we have is not good enough, and we just long for something more. Uh, bitterness is another one that, that if we allow bitterness to stew in us, uh, it breeds uh, anger and malice towards other people. Uh, I, I, I think about a, uh, in my early 20s, uh, I was living with a guy uh, who we... We, 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 we weren't the best of roommates. Uh, there was just a lot in kind of the ways that we oriented our lives that uh, clashed in that sense. Um, but rather than talk about that, rather than address maybe the, the lifestyle, like, you know, we, we, with roommates is going to be natural conflict because you're bringing two people together. But instead of addressing, uh, you know, the conflict that was there, uh, I just let that bitterness stew. And that bitterness grew and grew uh, to the point where, where anything that this guy would do, even if it was, you know, small, um, it, it, would, it would, you know, turn into anger and frustration towards him. And I would act in a passive-aggressive manner um, and, and, and kind of address it in a passive-aggressive way, which I thought would address it, but anything that's passive-aggressive doesn't actually directly address anything. So this guy didn't know how upset I was, but I thought I had told him, so it just led to greater bitterness. And by the end of it, uh, we did, you know, God was good, and we, we got to a point where we were able to address it and talk about it and... and um, forgive each other and things like that. But because that bitterness stewed for so long, it destroyed whatever potential friendship and relationship we could have had. Uh, that even though there was forgiveness in the end, there was just a lot, it was, it, was, it was hard to fully kind of get over some of that history. And that is the danger of sin, that we are tasting death when we could be enjoying life. Uh, so for many of us, there's probably two common uh, responses that we have to this idea of putting off death, putting to death sin. Uh, first, your first response might be to minimize sin. Uh, the, the when you sin, when you kind of do one of these things or think one of these things, uh, you might respond, well, I know that was wrong, uh, but God is gracious and he's forgiven me, so it's okay. And we don't do anything about this sin. We just kind of say, like, okay, God's forgiven me, and you go on about your life. Which is true, God has forgiven you, um, but we just, we just leave that sin and, and don't address it. Or, we minimize sin in the fact that we might think that it's not as bad um, as it is. That, that we've, we've sinned, but it's like, it's not one of the bad sins. It's not one of the big ones. It's just like a little, little thing. And it's, it's okay. I don't need to address it because it's just, it's small. It's little. Uh, to you, to those who respond in that way, uh, I want to encourage you to listen to the words of Paul in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 to 4, which is on the screen. Paul says, <clears throat> What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. Heck no. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death 
in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. So shall we continue to sin because grace is there? Paul is saying that, that is out of the question. You should not, that, that is not what we are called to. And why is that? Because Paul again says in Colossians 3, uh, verse 6, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. That sin brings wrath. The wrath of God is present in sin. Both in, in kind of uh, his passive removal uh, in, that we see in Romans 1, where we sin and uh, God kind of passively allows us to do that, and in response we taste death through that life of sin. Or our sin angers him like a sin, anger, like a sin angers a father, where the father still loves you, but there's that anger because of our wrongdoing there. So we need to be reminded, those of us who, who minimize sin, uh, that it still brings about wrath, that it's still deadly. For some of you, your response to sin might be to feel shame and guilt. Uh, that when you uh, do something wrong, when you sin, when you live in a way that is, is contrary to what God has called you to, uh, you just feel this burden of, of, of shame. You feel like you're not worthwhile anything. You beat yourself up. Uh, you, yeah, just racked with guilt. And for you, I want to encourage you, uh, again, what Paul says in uh, the first four verses of this chapter. Uh, where he says, if then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So what you need to remember is that even when you've sinned, and you, 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 know, you start to feel shame and guilt, know that nothing has changed. Your identity has not changed. That even as uh, you, you sin, you are still raised with Christ, you're still hidden with Christ, and you will still one day appear with him in glory. What you need uh, is to seek out and receive his grace and his love. And now you might say, you know, you, you kind of addressing two different people, saying what seems like two contradictory things. That for some people, what you need to recognize is the wrath of God uh, and, and, and not, yeah. Uh, but then for some of you who maybe are feeling the wrath of God too much, that so you need to feel grace. The reality of the Christian life is that it's both, that as we uh, put to death what is sinful and we put on the new self, uh, that we do so because sin does bring wrath, but we also have freedom in that because we have grace from God. And so what we need to find is that, that healthy tension between it, where we're not overemphasizing his wrath uh, and not focusing on his grace, or we're focusing too much on his grace and not focusing on the wrath that we kind of need, need both. So it is not enough to just put off the old self uh, but it must be replaced with something better. If we just remove uh, a negative affection, a negative desire, uh, it will just leave this vacuum uh, that will be filled with something else uh, and will likely be filled with another negative affection, another sin. Instead, we need what Thomas Chalmers, uh, a preacher from about 102 years ago, uh, he calls the expulsive power of a new affection. We need a better affection to replace the negative one. We need something that is so good, that is so powerful, that is so holy, that is so life-giving, that it expels and removes anything lesser than that. And that is what Paul is uh, pointed to when he tells us to live like the living, to put on these expulsive affections, these better, powerful, holy, good affections. So Paul starts that off in verse 12 by saying, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. So 
So he's saying, put on then, and before he gets to the list of the things that he's saying that we should put on, he's reminding you that you are God's chosen, holy and beloved. And because of that, therefore put on the new self. So again, putting on the new self doesn't make you God's chosen, holy and beloved, but you, because of Christ, are already God's chosen, holy and beloved. So in response, in response to that new identity, put on the new self. So Paul is reminding us there again. And what does he tell us to put on? Uh, Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, pursuing forgiveness, love, the peace of Christ, thankfulness. He's telling us to put on uh, internal characteristics that exude outward. Uh, That this list of things are not a list of actions, that you can't do kindness, you can't do love, you can't do meekness. But instead, we must be formed into people of kindness. We must be formed into people of love. We must be formed into meek people. And as we do that, what is true of us internally will then impact us externally. The actions that we do, uh, if we grow into uh, people formed by kindness, we will do kind things, and so on and so forth. Our actions then reflect what is true of us internally. So how do we do this? How do we put on the new self? Uh, I want to offer six suggestions, six ways that we can do that. Um, They're not six isolated ways, but I think they all play together. So first, uh, we need to remember. We need to remember who Christ is and who we are because of that. Uh, Throughout this passage, as Paul is saying, to, to put off and to put on, he peppers in these passages to remind you of who you are, that you should put to death these things because you are this. You should put on these things because Christ has done this. So what does he remind us of? Uh, he calls you to remember that you've been raised, that you've been hidden, and that you will return in glory all with Christ, that you once walked in earthly things, but you no longer do, that you've been renewed in knowledge after the image of your creator. He calls you to remember that Christ is all and he is in all. Uh, he encourages you to remember that you are God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. To remember that the Lord has forgiven you so that as you pursue forgiveness, you do so because you have received the forgiveness of the Lord. And that he has called you to one body, uh, that we are united uh, together because of who he is. So as we remember what Christ has done for us, as we remember these good things, it encourages us to put off uh, what leads to death, what is not good. So that's one thing that we remember. Uh, Two, we do this together. Uh, Paul says in verse uh, 15, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Uh, That sanctification, putting on the new self, is something that we do together. Uh, That we are united in one body. That you are not isolated in this journey. Uh, Oftentimes, sanctification, uh, you know, might be uh, communicated in in books and articles. I've seen it as as, uh, personal sanctification. That people are talking about you need to grow in personal sanctification. I don't know if you guys have, have heard that before. Uh, but I think, that, I think that misses the reality of what uh, we are called to. That sure, it is a, uh, in some ways a personal thing, that, that it is our hearts that are being transformed. We are putting on the new self uh, to grow more Christ-like. But we don't do it in isolation from other people. We do it in community and connection uh, with others who are in the same process, who are doing the same thing, running the same race as one another. We need to do it together. Uh, it's kind of like, uh, for those of you who have worn like a suit jacket or a sport coat, um, it's, it's kind of cut differently than like a, like a winter jacket, so it's not as flexible. 
Uh, so you can put it on yourself, but to do so, you gotta like maneuver yourself in a weird way and like contort your body to, to get it on. Um, but it, it, it's, it's a whole different thing when you have somebody else helping you do that. It's just a lot more comfortable when you stick your arms back and they, they stick it on for you. You don't have to like, uh, yeah, contort your body in weird ways, but it just feels a little better when we do it together. And that is this process. We put on the new self together because we are united in one body. Uh, third, we confess our sins to each other uh, and to God. That the step to killing sin, the step to putting to death what is earthly in us, is confession. Sin lives in darkness. Sin thrives in darkness. And it tries to convince us uh, that we, if we are in sin, if we have done sin, uh, that it is dangerous to tell other people about it. Because if we do tell other people about it, they're going to think less of us, or they're going to ostracize us, or, or whatever it might be. Sin tries to convince us to continue to allow it to live and thrive in darkness. But the reality is, and we see this in uh, 1 John 1, that when we confess our sins, we are bringing it into the light. And when we bring sin into the light, that is when God, uh, we, we are more open to allowing God and the Holy Spirit uh, to destroy that sin. So we should be actively confessing our sins uh, to God, uh, which we do that every Sunday uh, as we start off our worship in confession. Uh, but we should also do that to each other with other people. That we should come to our community groups and our 3Ds, uh, come to trusted friends and spouses, and confess that sin to one another, uh, to bring it to the light, uh, and to seek out the help uh, of our brothers and sisters to help us to, to live in a way that puts it to death where we're allowed to put on our new self. That we should be actively confessing to one another. Fourth, uh, dwell richly in the word of God. Uh, verse 16 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. That we should be actively spending time in the word of God. One, so that we can know what is true, that we can uh, see what is true in scripture and, and compare with the lies. Uh, but uh, also to, to dwell in it where the word of God becomes rich, uh, and then the way that we live this life uh, is impacted by that richness, that, um, yeah, that, that we would experience God in a rich way, uh, that it would be beautiful and tasty, uh, and it would transform us. That, uh, and through that would spur us on uh, to live uh, in a way that, that, that is reflective of that. So it is not just being familiar with the word or just knowing the word, but it is experiencing it in a rich and transformative way. Uh, fifth, we, we start small. Uh, do you want to put on love? Do you want to be a person of love? What is a small step that you can take towards that, to grow in love? Uh, that oftentimes when we set these goals uh, or we know kind of who we want to become, you know, if we want to become a person of love, we have, an, we have an example of who that is, what the end goal is, uh, and then we become discouraged because we don't automatically skip straight to the end. We want to skip that process, but, it, but we, it's, uh, we can't do that. So we need uh, sanctification then, putting on the new self, is a series of small steps uh, that over time grow into this greater change. So do you want to put on love? What is a small way that you can grow in love? Do you want to put on kindness? What is a small way that you can put on kindness? Do that. Uh, be accountable with other people. Uh, and then after you've done that step, take another step and continue to grow and allow that to uh, build. And lastly, we do this with joy. Uh, Paul finishes this passage uh, where he talks about, you know, we do this all with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, the Father, through him. 
that this process of putting to death uh, what is earthly and putting on the new self is one of joy, that the Christian life is one of joy. Joy because we experience the delight of our Father, but then also joy because we have been brought together in community with other people. So we should be approaching it in that way, uh, that, that, that you know, we pursue this joy. And one way that we can do that um, is through experiencing joy at a, a Sunday service when we come together for church. Uh, that as we, we know that Christ will one day uh, come again with the new heavens and the new earth, where we will praise him. Uh, the things like this where we gather is a foretaste of that future to come. Uh, so that as we are here to worship, as we uh, confess our sins, sing songs, take communion, uh, receive the benediction, all of that is a way for us to, to look ahead to Christ's coming and to do that with one another in joy, in, in, in kind of like a party-like environment uh, with those that Christ has bonded us with. So we do that with joy. Uh, in closing, uh, in closing, I want to I want to tell you uh, about a friend of mine named uh, Roddy, where uh, I've been. God has kind of uh, blessed me with a friend that I met in college, uh, where we've been able to journey through a lot of these things uh, together. Uh, where, yeah, through him, um, you know. He, The story that I shared before about the roommate, uh, I think it was through a friend of mine, through Roddy, uh, that I was, you know, I realized the way in which I let bitterness stew and harbor in me. That it was something that I, I wasn't cognizant of, I didn't recognize, uh, but it was through talking with him that he noticed these things and that he called them out, uh, in which confession was able to happen, and because of that friendship, I was able to, to uh, work towards forgiveness uh, with this roommate. So it is through other people that we experience this newness of life. It is through uh, vulnerability and transparency and confessing sins to one another, even though it can feel uncomfortable and risky. Uh, it is calling out uh, our friends when we recognize that they are living uh, in sin, when they're doing something that you know is not reflective of who Christ has called them to be. It's taking that risk and saying, hey, you're saying these things or you're doing these things, and that is not life-giving, and you need to uh, you need to confess that and put that to death. So I want to encourage you, if you, if you don't have those kind of relationships, uh, pursue those. Uh, that they don't just happen, but they require intentionality uh, and openness and transparency. If you're in a community group in a 3D, that is a great place to experience that. And if your community group doesn't regularly do that, if that is not a characteristic of that, I'd encourage you, take that first step. If there's a sin that you're holding on to that you, that you feel like you need to confess the next time you meet with your group, uh, confess that sin in your group uh, trusting that they will receive you. And if you're in that group and you're hearing uh, your friend confess, receive them with openness, with love, with grace, uh, but then spur them on towards a better affection and, and journey with them in that. Uh, these things take intentionality. They take um, yeah, taking risks in that. If you're not part of a community group or part of a 3D, uh, I'd encourage you to do that because... Uh, yeah, we as one body are united in that, and we are called to journey together. So let me pray. God, we thank you uh, for this new identity that you've given us. We thank you, Jesus, that you uh, have raised us 
with you from the dead, uh, that through your life, death, and resurrection, uh, that you have conquered death, that you've conquered sin, uh, and then the same way that we have been raised with that. We thank you that you, uh, that we are now hidden with you, that you haven't left us, uh, but we are united with you. And I thank you that one day we can look ahead to a time where you will appear in glory, and we will appear in glory with you. So Lord, now as we wait for that time, as we live uh, this life as your uh, chosen, holy, and beloved children, uh, Lord, help us to live in a way uh, that is reflective of you. Uh, not out of, out of duty or obligation, but because we know that it is when we uh, put to death what is earthly and we put on the new self, that that is what it means to live like the living, to live in uh, response to our new identity. Lord, it is in that that we find life. And we thank you and we love you. In your name, amen. So as we come to uh, communion, uh, communion, as we do every week, is a great opportunity uh, to practice this remembrance, to remember who Christ is and what he has done for us. That we come uh, to, to the bread in remembrance, in reflection uh, of his body that was broken for us. And we do the same with the juice in, in reflection of and remembrance of his blood that was shed for us. And through that, that we've received this forgiveness of sins uh, and that we have this new identity, that we do this as an opportunity to remember that uh, and to faithfully uh, uh, to live into that new identity. So if you, if, this, if that is you, if you are, uh, would you call yourself a believer in Christ? If, if you have received that new identity, I invite you to take and eat. If you have not, uh, if you're not following Jesus, I'd, I'd encourage you to take this time and receive him uh, accept that new identity that he's offering you. If you're not ready for that, that's okay. Uh, maybe consider what, what is the next step? What is, what is something that you uh, need to, uh, to talk to somebody about? And I would love uh, yeah, if you want to fill out a connection card and talk with the pastor about those things. Uh, but for those of us who are followers of Jesus, I invite you to, uh, to take and eat.